right, welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head. Today, we're going to talk about that really nerdy idea of public policy. You know, the framework that allows society to work. It's nerding out time, folks. So, no, seriously, this will be a good discussion. I think it's important to understand how government works and how stuff gets done. So we're just going to use emergency management as the context for that discussion. So sit back, grab yourself a beverage. Let's get at her. So as the saying goes, you know, somewhere many, many thousands of years ago in Samaria, Egypt, or someplace like that in the uh, Euphrates River Valley, uh, anarchy reigned. And then at a certain time, you know, humans got together and they decided, you know what, we, we kind of like this peace and calm idea. So let's create an organized society. Evolution, you can spend PhDs and other degrees studying the uh, ancient societies and how they were organized. But in essence, we decided that collectively we would like to put a few rules in place to order uh, things to govern how we do things. And the world of public policy and legislation was born. Now, there's a lot of great theorists in it, whether you're a fan of Laswell's 1957 stage model, Kraft and Howlett's, um, or Ramish and Howlett's uh, new 2003, bringing that down to five uh, stages of public policy, or whether you're into Kingdon's um, multiple stream model. The end result is, in general, most lay people, most of us out there just live in our lives and rock in the world. We look at it as there's agenda setting, you know, how do things get on the government's paper and order paper to get done? Then there's implementation, you know, how is a public policy rolled out? And then there's evaluation, how we determine whether we're successful or not. Now, within the world of government, and I live in the city of Ottawa, the capital of Canada, and therefore I am totally surrounded by a bunch of nerd out public servants and all of the actors and players that are involved in the formation, implementation, and evaluation of public policy sit to some degree in this capital. So when you live in that world and every single consultant, good, bad, or indifferent are here as well. So when we decide that we think we want to do something, we advocate our politicians from a citizen's point of view. But in reality, governments intervene in society for two principal reasons. They want to encourage more of a certain type of behavior or they want to discourage a certain type of behavior. And to do that, governments have two simple, uh, you know, weapons at hand, call it that. They have taxation, um, which can either be used through making sin taxes. So you're going to put a sin tax on alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana to make it a little bit more expensive to do something because you want to discourage the practice. Or you can provide a subsidy or a tax break for something because like fitness credits, athletic credits, arts credits, things you would like to encourage a little bit more of in society. The other level that government has is what we're really talking about today is the power of regulation. Regulation means the government is the sole authority within a society to set the rules of the game. They're the ones determining what behavior is acceptable, 
what behavior is not, and then what are those sanctions that will be applied when the inappropriate behavior is conducted in society. So to do that, there are frameworks of legislation. So if you think about a hierarchy, Maslow's hierarchy of needs way at the top, the most important is the country's founding document, the framework that that basically structures how we do business. And that for Canada originally was the British North America Act in 1967, and it's been modernized in 1982 to the Constitution Act. Uh, now, what that lays out is the different levels of government. Uh, it lays out between the provincial and the federal government who has clear responsibility and authority over different parts of society. And those were clearly delineated as the country existed and the issues that we faced in 1982. And mostly in the late 1970s, early 1980s, when the negotiations were happening, we've tried several times to amend the Constitution. But in this country, it's a freaking brouhaha, like a Saturday night at the lower deck. So we just decide that we're probably not going to touch this document because as soon as you open up Pandora's box, everybody and their uncle, we call them policy entrepreneurs, people with a solution in mind an absolute end game. They have it all mapped out and what they want. They just don't have a problem to fit it yet. These people come flying out of the woodwork whenever we talk about reopening the Canadian Constitution. The reason that's important is, similar to the environmental movement, the emergency management genre and discipline was not a force majeure. It, it didn't exist outside of some small government departments within the federal government, and therefore emergency management, disaster management, etc., was not codified in the Canadian Constitution in 1982. So what happens by default in our system is that it becomes a multi-level governance issue, which means every level of government, both the federal, provincial, and territorial, which we call FPT, those are the responsible parties in some form of negotiated, handshake, wrestling, fight out, Krav Maga match or something. The, the levels of government need to figure that out because it's not clearly delineated in the Constitution. Now, I have to say right from the beginning, Canada is pretty good uh, largely probably an ideal model for multi-level governance arrangements and agreements for disaster and emergency management. Uh, there are quite a number of them. Some of them are based on the Sendai framework for disaster risk reduction uh, that runs from 2015 and the Sendai agreement until 2030. Canada has an FPT agreement on that. We have an FPT agreement on the national response, national emergency response system, the NERS. Uh, we have the FERP, the Federal Emergency Response Plan. We have uh, newly updated documents in the latest session in 2022, bringing in a new faster RFA request for approval process so we don't have to formally go through the current legislative process or the previous legislative process of an aid to civil power or something along that lines when, we, when a lower level of government needs assistance from the federal government. But in the end, what matters is how it's practiced. In Canada, the provincial governments and the territorial governments are the de facto leads in emergency management in Canada. 
and they have the best trained and the most well-resourced management teams to oversee not only the total program, but what people most normally focus on is to manage the response and to manage uh, the recovery program. Now, the municipalities that we have to mention, which is my focus of research and my my uber area of research and evidence-based uh, practice is in municipal emergency management. But in each of the provinces and territories, municipalities are creatures of their government. So they are created by the provincial government and within a piece of legislation. I'll give you an example. Here in Ontario, um, the Ontario government has the City of Toronto Act. It has the City of Ottawa Act. And then it has a municipal act to cover a lot of the other requirements. And there are piecemeal requirements through other legislative processes, including sections and regulations and contained in the Civil Protection and Emergency Management Act in Ontario that governs emergency management. Um, so there's a slew of legislative requirements given to municipalities. So, And the odd duck of that, when you think about it, is that the vast majority of resources uh, for emergency management, the actual public sector first response type of resources, all lie at the municipal level. So for most governance uh, management setups in Canada, your police, fire, and EMS belong to the municipality. The municipality is a legislative creation of the provincial government, and provincial government oversees emergency management for the province. And a lot of provinces have, you know, kind of reciprocal sharing and and information and resource sharing agreements laterally between the provinces. And the the interesting part about that is in Canada. The structure of emergency management is different in all 10 provinces and our three territories. So you literally have, some are, some are pretty similar, I'll give you that, but there's pretty much 13 different provincial subnational systems of emergency management that from an organizational, from an operational perspective, they operationalize some version of the incident command system or the national incident management system to as a framework for how they conduct operations. So their ICS is not the same. It's similar, it's close, but it's not identical. And so what happens is your traditional, you have it a disaster in the province of Ontario. There's a sp specific capability or a capacity that the government needs. So the, you know, the government of Ontario sends an RFA to the uh, government of Canada to ask for a very specific capability. Like a lot of times we have wildfire evacuations that have to be done from Northern Ontario First Nation settlements and we need the Royal Canadian Air Force to do that. So it's a very specific resource ask. It goes up through now through an RFA and that gets executed. Um, very specific task. Now, if there's a specific call for labor and the Canadian Armed Forces are brought in, then they are actually subordinated to the provincial government. Now it's a form of OPCON, uh, operational control. It's a military um, handoff capability or military handoff description. Basically is the military comes, the government of Ontario can't break it up, but the government of Ontario tells it where to go and tells it what 
uh, task to execute. It doesn't tell us how to do it, but it tells it gives the military orders from the government of Ontario. So the military becomes subordinate to the government of Ontario. What we don't see in Canada, and it's strictly not done, is the federal government does never come in and attempt to take control of a situation, even if the provincial government seems to be overwhelmed because the federal government does not have the asset. Now we have a Government of Canada Operations Centre buried in the basement of one of the buildings here in downtown Ottawa, and they own the operational resilience or the business continuity management operations of the federal government. So their role is to ensure that when the shizzy hits the fizzy, that the federal government as an entity continues to operate, that each federal government department is executing their emergency plan in accordance with the instructions given to them from Public Safety Canada, and that any resources requested by the provinces have been forwarded through. So people think the Government Canada Operations Centre they think like an EOC that runs an emergency response in Canada. It's nothing of the kind. It's still an exceptionally important asset, but it doesn't do with people. So in our country, because of the vast size of it, the vast diversity of resources and the myriad of different hazards that we are uh, exposed to, the subnational governments are the most senior and they'll stay the most senior level of response uh, a level of governance in emergency management, though they have, like I said, excellent FPT. So these federal, provincial, and territorial agreements outline everything that I just said, how processes and procedures work. But they work really tightly together on figuring out what the new threat profiles will look like, what type of resources will be required, etc. And they also help to manage the disaster funding assistance program that covers the uninsured or the underinsured due to disasters beyond their uh, capability to personally respond or pay for. So the system works in Canada from a structural governance perspective. And I think Canadians can take good heart and those around the world who may have a challenging setup for their emergency management can maybe look to Canada for some prime examples. Now, we need better cooperation uh, between the provinces and finding a common standard uh, and a common education standard. And there's great argument coming in a later uh, episode of the podcast about whether we actually need a profession within the field of emergency management. We have a lot of people calling themselves emergency manager with nobody having a set of qualifications for that title. You know, an 18 year old out of high school can call themselves an emergency manager and nobody can challenge them. Um, so maybe we need to go down that route and I've got a podcast scheduled for mid-February that's going to talk about that, that we're going to deal into the professionalization of emergency management. But from a policy perspective, we now look at how things get done, right? So you often wonder why in the, in any level of government that, uh, what seems to be a very simple idea takes a very long time and a lot of consultation and a lot of committee work and a lot of grinding through. And sometimes they die on the order paper when parliament gets prorogued or we go into another session of parliament or an election is called. And then all of a sudden an issue pops up 
and bam, something is rammed through the House of Commons, something is rammed through a provincial government, and it becomes law royal assent in lightning quick speed. Or the government, for example, can't procure a single decent piece of hardware for the Canadian Armed Forces in less than 17 years. And then all of a sudden we can buy the latest and greatest system, bing, bang, boom, and have it in Ukraine in a matter of weeks. And it shakes your head and sometimes it just thinks government is broken, but it's not a question of the government being broken. It's a question of understanding how these things occur within the operations of government. There are things called policy windows, and a policy window happens when an opportunity occurs. Some type of incident happens that opens up a window in the government, and that window is considered an opportunity where an idea can fly through. So I'll give you a prime example that happened um, a couple of years ago. So we had an unfortunate mass shooting in my home province of Nova Scotia where 20-something people were killed by a gunman masquerading as a police officer driving around, oh, I think it was like 14 or 15 hours before the whole thing uh, was settled when he was killed at a gas station. Um, that was horrible. That was absolutely horrible that somebody ran around our country with guns and killed people. That opened a policy window to talk about gun control. Nothing to do with it. All of the guns that the individual used turned out to be smuggled illegally from the United States of America. But what the incident did is it opened the policy window. And in Ottawa and in every other provincial capital, you have people who are called policy entrepreneurs. These are individuals who have a pre-designed solution. So call it issue management, call them lobbyists. They, they exist. The city is full of lobbyists who want something done for their own personal interests. So the gun lobby who hate firearms or who despise the use of handguns in Canada, they want handguns banned, right? They don't want handguns available to the general population. That is their end game right? They already have the solution written. They have, they even, and a lot of these lobbyists will even have draft legislation written as to how to implement and evaluate the banning of handguns in Canada. So that's pre-written by the policy entrepreneur. The window opens because of this mass shooting in Nova Scotia and flying through that window is the policy entrepreneur that lands on the desk of somebody a politician who needs to look like they're responding and doing something. And our government chose to use that policy window to take this lobbyist uh, legislation and implement it. And a lot of it was a roadmap that was laid down by the, uh, the soon-to-be former Prime Minister of New Zealand when they had a massive shooting in a mosque where dozens were killed, they brought in an immediate cessation of the use of multiple types of firearms and they brought it in. One Yahoo that was not from New Zealand came to New Zealand elite with a bunch of uh, weapons and, and killed a bunch of people and that permanently changed the access to weapons in New Zealand. So it was a policy window that opened and the policy entrepreneur that came 
through. And the same thing happened here in Canada. We now have a ban on the acquisition, transfer, and sale of handguns. So every possible issue that you can think of and every possible solution that you can think of exists here in the city of Ottawa with the lobbyist. This is what the lobby community does. Now we have a lobby registry. We have some pretty decent rules. When it comes to OECD countries, we have probably the toughest set of lobby registration and limitation requirements. We publish our political party leaders and ministers who they met with uh, from a lobbyist. Whenever they meet a lobbyist, it has to be publicized and the topic of the discussion. Now, obviously, you have no idea what's talked about in the room, but the fact that this meeting even took place has to be made public. Uh, and so we have some really good rules about that, and you, and you need to be happy about that. But understand that the people who want certain solutions are here and they're present. And a lot of the times, they are the long persuasion is done because they're chipping away at the government's hesitation. You've got to understand the government has a limited ability to do certain things, right? There's only so much horsepower to haul things through. Only so many committees can happen at the same time, et cetera, et cetera. So to get on that agenda, right? It really, really has to matter and it really has to be important. So what happens either through that policy window and entrepreneur that I just mentioned and used the, the uh, massacre as an example, or it happens through the slow, methodical process of getting on the agenda, persuasion and influence over a series of time. And this is how you see where most things are done in public policy is through incrementalism. And this is what's really the core of emergency management public policy is that we make um, incremental changes to regulation. So here in Ontario, we just updated a bit of the legislation, uh, but principally it's the regulation that they update. And the reason they do this is updating legislation is a methodical, difficult, challenging process through the parliament. So either it's a national or subnational parliament. So a lot of times what you'll happen, and this occurs in emergency management and every other field, is that you will have a piece of legislation that goes through, right? And then the legislation itself will create a number of regulations when it first starts, and it will give the authority to further amend and add regulations to some officer or some position. Now, in Ontario, that is given to the Commissioner uh, of Emergency Management within the Ministry of the Solicitor General, and that individual has the authority to update the Regulation 38004 without having to go back to, to the legislature in Ontario to amend the legislation unless something significant has to be done. Tweaks can be done to the regulation to improve the public policy um, and or to add new requirements, etc., on the municipalities. Because again, the municipalities are generally the ones who execute emergency management. They're the ones who have to deal with the cold face and the minute-to-minute -minute and day-to-day -day fight when a response is underway. And so how they do that is governed by regulation, and that regulation is is managed by the sub-national government. So really incrementalism is how most things work. The government wants to implement a new policy. They want to see how it works. So they want to implement it with the least disruption possible. And then they want teams of evaluators to come in and see if it's meeting its intended target. If what we thought would occur has actually occurred, 
And if not, what slight adjustments may need to be made within the levers to the amplitude of the taxation or regulation that's been implemented to increase the desired effect or to mitigate against some unknown, unplanned confounding variables that have now turned into secondary effects. That's how we prefer to do legislation because it makes the necessary changes that we see fit in our society through slow, methodical, less impactful ideas, except when it's not. When we have significant events and the policy entrepreneur drives through and we have dramatic, life-changing, in some cases, short-term, massive changes to the way we organize or implement it in society, that both can happen. Understanding how they do is important. I hope this little bit of a nerd out for you was worth it. I could talk for hours about this. I am a public policy nerd and an emergency preparedness guru. So thanks for joining us this week on Inside My Canoe Head. Please go over and sign up for our newsletters at insidemycanoehead.ca or preparednesslabs.ca. One's focused personal. The latter is focused more on organizational, structural, that kind of things in emergency management. Um, if you love what you hear and you just want to buy me a coffee, feel free. Uh, otherwise, I appreciate your inbound comments on preparednesslabs.ca. There is a place to drop me a line. It fires me a notice through email that you have something to say. I appreciate those. Keep coming them in. If you have an idea uh, for a future podcast episode, please uh, hand them out. I've got a couple of in invitations out. I'm not having a lot of luck. Uh, with people who want to come on because a lot of times in emergency management, it's difficult to get an emergency manager from the city of X to come on your podcast to talk about what's going on in the city because there's a whole bunch of public relations requirements to jump through. So we dance around a little bit. We're, we're going to do what we can. So take care, stay safe. We got a massive storm coming in here to Ottawa today. I love the winter, but I can't wait to golf. Take care. See you soon.